0: Amen. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We are going to begin today to look at uh, the Ten Commandments, and I am going to take uh, these commandments one uh, by one, which means I will pull in some other um, scripture uh, as we as we look at these commandments together. This is Exodus 20, uh, verse 3. God's first commandment to his people in the covenant at Mount Sinai. God says this to his people. You shall have no other gods before me. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we pray now as we sit under the authority of your word. Do that work in us by the power of your spirit. Transform us, conform us into the image of your son and our Lord, we pray in his name. Amen. In uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3, Adam and Eve uh, eat from the to Eve, which they both submit themselves to. The lie comes from the evil one in the form of a serpent who says to Eve, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The sin, of course, is the transgression of God's command of his law not to eat uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yet it is rooted in a lie that eating from the tree would in some way make Adam and Eve more like God. The irony of course is that Adam and Eve are already like God in the sense, in the sense that they have, unlike all the other creatures, been created in his image and given dominion over the earth that he has created. What Adam and Eve don't fully recognize, of course, is that attaining this supposed godlike status will require elevation of a created thing over which they were meant to rule. The elevation of that created thing to the functional place of God in their lives. The end result will be ruin for the creation and for humanity who will now go on throughout history bowing down to created things that are not God and continuing to live in in, in sin of which idolatry is a part and will continue receiving the consequences of that sin, which is death. What is the point of that brief history of Adam and Eve's sin? The the point is that God's first word, his first commandment in the Mosaic covenant begins where the whole relationship with his image bearers got off track. The you shall have no other gods before me Command strikes at the heart of our rebellion, which, which is our belief that we can center ourselves or some other created thing in the place of the true God, making ourselves or that thing the functional equivalent of God. The, the whole project of, of, of our idolatry historically has been ruined. And yet we keep returning there because this is the foolishness of sin. That we can determine our own way apart from God, that that we can, can can in effect be God or or find His functional equivalent in our lives. Israel saw the fallout of this belief in the oppressive practices of Egypt, which which were no more than the continuation of the oppre- oppressive practices that flowed from Adam and Eve's sin, nation after nation, tribe after tribe, individual after individual has fallen into some aspect of this oppression. No wonder then that God in his covenant at Sinai starts here in building his people, his priestly kingdom, his holy nation. God begins with the most important aspect of that community's life. And witness, you shall have no other gods before me. Of course, in all these laws, what Israel is going to learn and what her experience with God is going to teach her is that she needs a power that will deal with her sin, which is the fundamental issue in her uh, ability to walk in God's commands. And you know the story of the scriptures that answer comes in the person and the actions of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Our justification comes through our union with Christ and not our keeping of the law. Yet now that our sin has been dealt with in Christ, we are now free and empowered by the Spirit to keep God's law not as a means of salvation but as a manifestation of that salvation that was won for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, people of God. So we are those who are enabled to walk in that allegiance that God calls us to where we put no other gods before him. Though we will not be perfect in this life in this regard uh, to this or any other command, we can increase in our faithfulness in this command in this life. So I wanna talk for a few moments this morning um, about what this command calls us to. The command, you shall have no other God before me, no other gods before me. Uh, This command calls us to a break, first and foremost, a break from the world's logic of idolatry. A break from the world's logic of idolatry. Israel was being called into covenant with God, and they were being called to loyalty to him alone as God. In a world where the worship of multiple gods was the norm. The cultures around Israel contributed every aspect of their lives to the oversight of some deity. There were gods who people believed controlled fertility, and gods who controlled harvest, and gods who controlled war, and gods who controlled health, and so on and seeking to give explanation to the realities of life people did exactly what the apostle paul who proclaimed uh, exactly what the apostle paul would proclaim centuries later in romans 1 for although they knew god they did not honor him as god or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were dark and claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and in case you think this behavior was to be found only among the cultures around Israel, you have only to read the scriptures to know that this exchanging of the immortal God for things that were not God found expression even among those who claimed to be God's people at various times in their history. Thus, what this command would mean for God's people would be a willingness to break from the worship of God. False gods around Israel and from their own sinful tendencies to attribute, to attribute to created things what only God can do. It would mean refusing to attribute, uh, attribute the narrative of their lives to created things for what God, for, 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 for what does God, what, what does God tell them in the preamble to this covenant? What does he say? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And you know the story just a, just a few verses from this giving of the law. The people are going to create a golden calf and say this is the thing that brought them out of Egypt. God says to his people, I am your redeemer. I am the orchestrator of your life. Following the command, you shall have no other gods, would be, as I said last week, to commit themselves to being exactly what God was calling them to be, a distinct community committed to the only true and living God, seeking to draw the nations away from their own idolatrous practices toward the God of Israel, the God who is the narrator of all of our histories. Even if we give, even if we give that honor to something else, it is God who has narrated our history. Amen, brothers and sisters. But this distinction would also mean being thought foolish by the cultures around them, being thought unsophisticated, being thought naive. It would mean facing ridicule and taunting from those around them. And for people who have a bent toward being like the nations around them, such a calling would prove challenging. And yet God starts here because there is no other God besides him and to believe in other gods is ruin for those who give themselves over to them. And so God calls his people to break from the lie of the cultures around them, the lie that may have been the reality in many of their own lives, a belief that there is any other God but the Lord. You, Israel, shall have no other gods. And this is true for us as Christians, though we have received the fullness of revelation of God as triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is none other than this God who met with his people at Sinai, who we are to worship and who, to, to whom we are to give service alone. And we do so as well in a culture that will also ridic- ridicule us for this allegiance. But God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light in Christ. And in Christ, we have been brought back to the only true and living God. Amen, people of God. So the call to have no other gods beside the Lord is a call to break from the logic of idolatry that is all around us. And of course, the association of idolatry with carved images may make us think that we don't really have to deal with that kind of thing in our context. But if idolatry is the elevation of some created thing to the functional equivalent of God, meaning we give ourselves to that thing, live by its commands, or worship that created thing by centering it in our lives, then we have idolatry all around us too. And we do. For some of us, this may be an easier thing to grasp because we were rescued by God from another religion, from the worship of a God or gods who were not the God of the Scriptures. Yet, the Scripture tells us that all of us were at one point under the influence of another ruler other than God. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Since God has rescued us from this condition, the call is to not give ourselves experientially to what he has rescued us from. There is no God but the Lord, and so the call is not to submit ourselves to anything, uh, to anyone or anything in such a way that we give to it supreme authority in our lives. Think of what Jesus' words uh, in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You, you cannot give to money the service you owe to God. And yet think about how much money drives our decisions in this life. The way we treat or mistreat other people, the way we spend our time, the way we, t- t- who we hang out with or who we don't hang out with. Based on their economic status, what is true about money can also be true about other things as well. We can give to other things the functional equivalent of God in our lives, where we are letting that thing drive how we live. And so I want to encourage you, who now have the Spirit of God dwelling in the inside of you, to examine your own life, to see those places where you're tempted. To give to something else the functional equivalent of God in your life. And ask God by his spirit to free you from that temptation. And where you have given into it, to ask the spirit to help you to repent. And to turn back to God who purchased you through the blood of his son. Amen, people of God. So the call to have no other gods before her before God is a call to break from the logic Of idolatry that is all around us. The giving to created things the functional equivalent of God in our lives. But it's also a call back to our created purpose. In the shorter catechism of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we're reminded of our chief end, which is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen we're reminded in this passage and others throughout the scriptures that everything in creation was created to the glory of god alone that all praise that all glory that all worship belong to him alone and since he is the creator of everything Uh, uh, since he is the creator of everything, creation's good, its blessing is bound up in him and him alone. And since he is the creator of everything and, and, and since everything is bound up in him alone, there is no other fountain of true blessing. There is no other fountain of true good aside from the Lord our God. Even those who do not acknowledge him as God owe him praise for all the true good that they have received in this life, even though they do not give him the praise he deserves. Thus, this command to have no other gods before him is both a reminder of who we owe our worship and praise, but it's also a reminder of our true fountain and our true source of everything good. Yes, God in his providence in dispensing good to us works through human beings, through cre- the created order, and through ministering spirits called angels, but he is the source behind everything that is truly good that happens in our lives. We may honor, we- we- we may honor men, but we don't worship them. I'm going to say that again. For some of us in the room, we may honor men. We do not worship them. We may give thanks for the ministry of angels. We do not worship them. We may give thanks for the material good that we receive from the creation, but we must not worship it. And worshiping the above things isn't just about calling them God or physically bound down to them or putting pictures of them on our walls. Rather, worship consists in giving to those things, as I said, the functional equivalent of God in our lives. Where we live live in submission to the rules, we think, Will bring blessing, the blessing of those things into our lives. How many of us functionally serve as in worship, our money, or power, or people? But none of these things are the fountain of blessing. None of these things are the fountain of our good. Only God is, only the Lord is. Thus the command, you shall have no other gods before me, is a reminder of who we owe our worship and where our true good comes from. Since God alone is God, we are reminded in this command of what James will say later in his letter in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. As God calls Israel together, in in this covenant at Sinai, he reminds them of where the fountain of all their good comes from and to, to whom they owe all their worship. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God who brought you out of the house of slavery, and I am the God who is about to give you this land that you did not create and that you do not deserve, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am going to bless you abundantly, and you do not deserve it. All the fountain of your good and your blessing comes from me. So as we look look at this command, how are we empowered to keep it? And how are we empowered to receive those blessings, that good that comes to us in worship of God alone? We're told this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, the fullness... deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority christ brothers and sisters is the visible expression of god he is god in the flesh and the person of the son of god as he is presented to us in the scriptures we see god in his relationship to his people, his love for them, his provision for their needs, his protection of their lives, his sacrifice on their behalf. Christ, who is God, binds himself to us, and we are in him. And through this union, we are empowered to worship the Lord alone and enabled to receive by faith all the blessings that are ours because of that union. There is no other God but the Lord, and he has made uh, made himself known to us in Christ. So I want to encourage you this morning, don't look to other things as the object of your worship or the fountain of your blessing because at the end of the day, those things will only leave you wanting. Wanting at best and ruined at worst. And so the call here is to remember who it is that brings blessing into your life, who it is that brings what is good into your life. And the reason this is important Is because of something James, something that James tells us in that same passage I just referenced in James chapter one. He says earlier in that chapter, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and the desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. When we don't believe, when we don't live as though God is the source of our every blessing, we go looking for that blessing, that good in all the wrong places. The end result of that looking for blessing and good in the wrong places is ruin, ruin in our relationships, ruin emotionally, ruin spiritually, ruin materially. And this ruin can affect us individually but also affect us collectively at every level of our life. Glory be to God. That he is the restorer of ruined lives. That he is the restorer of ruined places. That he is the one who offers a well springing up to eternal life for all those who hope in him rather than in the false sources of life in this world. To have no other gods before the Lord means that we don't look to someone or something else for our ultimate source of blessing and good, but to the Lord himself whom we were created to worship and enjoy forever. And since he is the fountain of all that is good, we can bring our desires for what is good and lay it at his feet, trusting that if it is to our good, he will give it to us. Amen, people of God. For the psalmist says, the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No, this isn't a promise that if we do good, we will get everything we want. It is a promise that God will walk alongside of us in this life and do good to us and for us as we seek his face. Amen, people of God. You shall have no other gods before me. As God lays out his commands for his people, he begins where the relationship got off track through our sin. And this command, as I said, is a call back to our created purpose. In it, we are called to break with the logic of idolatry that is in the world. And we are called back to our created purpose to worship and enjoy God forever. In Christ, the Son of God, we are empowered toward that worship and toward receiving the blessings that are ours in God. I'm to invite you this morning to pray for the Spirit's power through Christ, to keep your eyes on the true and living God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the source of all your blessing and all your good. Amen, people of God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise this morning. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. And we do pray, Lord, that you would, by the power of the Spirit, through Christ, work in us a love for you. The Lord Jesus, in summing up the law and the prophets, said it hangs on these two, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. I pray, Lord God, that you would teach us how to love you in that way, that you would empower us by the Spirit to love you in that way, that you would enable us by the power of the Spirit to not give ourselves to created things, but to give ourselves to you and to you alone. We pray for this, Lord, not just in this body, but for all of your people who have their faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.